Hello and welcome to Plugged In Politics, where we keep you plugged into the policy, stakes, and drama on Capitol Hill. I'm your host, Jace Wilkie, and before we get started today, I just wanted to go on ahead and thank you guys for the reception to our first episode last week. Uh, you know, putting that first episode out there is always one of the biggest steps in this whole process, and it, uh, it's really encouraging to see you guys' feedback. Really appreciate it. Also want to go on ahead and give a shout out to our new social media page on Twitter. Uh, you can guys go on ahead and go over to Twitter and follow at PoliticsPlugged. Uh, we'll just go on ahead and give updates on new episodes coming out, different content that we're working on, and maybe some of my own random drunk thoughts, if you're lucky. Also, for today's episode, we've added a poll that can be answered in the space provided on Spotify. I just wanted to start engaging with you guys a little bit more directly, so these will be a little bit more on the lighthearted side for now. Uh, this week's question is a little pedestrian, so we'll just get right into it. Who would you rather be stuck with in an elevator for three hours? Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Lauren Boebert, or Kamala Harris. I will read the results at the beginning of next week's episode. I know it's a painful choice, but please just bear with me. On our agenda today, we're going to go on ahead and start with the Biden classified documents and the entire investigation spanning on that entire issue, as well as the outcry from the GOP and other members and what it might mean politically for the Democratic Party heading forward. Next on our list is the House Republicans anti-woke caucus that is going to be formed at the end of this month. And finally, we'll be revisiting the George Santos story, uh, mainly discussing his committee assignments and some new revelations on yet some more lies. What a shocker. So without further ado, guys, let's go on ahead and get into it. So to start the new year, the Biden administration is getting their own share of drama and scandals following the discovery of Obama-Biden-era classified documents in private and public offices. Look, I know I'm late to the party, but to hell with it. I'm covering it anyway. I gotta cash in on this bell cow too. So let's go on ahead and cover the basic timeline of events as outlined by CNN up to January 19th. So the CNN timeline article kind of details basically all the major events that have been covered thus far for the document scandal as of January 19th, so we're just going to start with that. So on November 2nd, Biden's personal attorneys discovered Obama-Biden administration records at the Penn-Biden Center in Washington, D.C., and notified the National Archives. So for let's put some perspective here. These documents were basically located in a closet, a fucking closet, in the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, uh, a think tank focused on foreign policy, national security, and domestic institutions. Following this, on November 9th, the FBI and Justice Department launched an assessment to see if classified documents were uh, mishandled in any way. Attorney General Merrick Garland then asks U.S. Attorney John Losh to oversee the investigation. Now, John Losh has been a U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois since 2017. And one major thing of note is that he's the only Trump-era attorney that was not asked to resign. So he's basically the one leading the investigation on these initial findings, seeing what kind of uh, malpractice or uh, breach of security may have been made. Then jumping way ahead in this timeline on December 20th, Biden's personal attorneys inspect the garage at the president's Wilmington home and identify, quote, a small number of potential classified records. They then stop their search and inform Wash again of what they found. Now, these documents were found in his garage next to his 1967 Corvette, and led to a meme-worthy exchange between Fox News reporter Peter Ducey and President Biden. So we're going to go on ahead and uh, play the audio here. Uh, it, it pretty much speaks for itself. material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, we're going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. 
Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a yes, as well as my Corvette. There's, there's just nothing to say, man. We live in a cursed timeline. And then on December 21st, Biden's attorneys arranged for the Justice Department to take possession of the documents from the Wilmington garage, and they're swiftly obtained by the Justice Department. Then, jumping way ahead on the timeline on January 9th, the White House Counsel's Office finally confirms publicly that the documents were found at the Penn Biden Center only once the news organizations aired the story. Biden's attorneys searched his homes in Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach and found a potential record with classified markings in a room next to that garage that, the, that they found the document from earlier. Uh, nothing was found in Rehoboth. The following day, lawyers informed Losh on what was found in Wilmington and arranged for another delivery of these documents to the Justice Department. The White House counsel with security clearance travels to Wilmington to help transfer the documents, and they discovered an additional five pages of marked materials. So later that day on January 12th, Merrick Garland announced that Robert Hur would be appointed as a special counsel to conduct an investigation into the matter. Now, before we go any further, let's kind of clarify what exactly a special counsel is. So a special counsel is a third party federal prosecutor that is normally called upon in like uh, extraordinary circumstances where the Justice Department might face a conflict of interest. So, for example, we're going to draw back from uh, the recent Trump classified document scandal from back in August. Uh, a special counsel was appointed for that particular case because Merrick Garland felt that it could potentially impact the 2024 run between Trump and Biden. Uh, we saw a very similar circumstance occur with Hillary Clinton back in 2016, where obviously the FBI investigation definitely uh, impacted that election cycle. And seeing that Merrick Garland is part of the Biden administration, that would be certainly a conflict of interest on his part. So I, I agree with the move here. It, it makes sense. Later on, on January 14th, the White House counsel discloses the discovery of the additional five pages. So that's kind of uh, wrapping up where we are at the time of this recording. When it comes to the White House response, it, it's pretty clear here that they wanted to arrange with the Justice Department to wrap up a quick investigation before they ever had to address it publicly. I think anyone here who kind of gets PR 101 to any semblance of a degree would understand that one of the main rules is that you speak about the issue in one big go, and then you don't ever address it again. You don't need to be playing re reactively. You, need, you definitely need to be in a forward motion addressing things on your terms. However, as soon as CBS picked up the story, that entire PR strategy was just in shambles rather than a prolonged media cycle. But with new documents just being discovered at just different locations, and God knows if they'll find any more, and adding a special counsel into this whole mess. So I think it just begs the question, what exactly do we draw like a, a substantive difference between the Trump documents and the Biden documents? So we'll start off the right off the bat chronologically with Trump. So in that investigation, there were roughly over 300 documents, some at the top secret level, uh, including nuclear secrets. A lot of what makes the Trump situation with the documents such an interesting, I guess, wrinkle is the fact that it was a lot of lack of cooperation and a bit of obstruction. So yeah, back in December 2021, a Trump representative told the NARA that there were documents in Mar-a-Lago. Now, this is after nearly a year since leaving office, so this is clearly some serious shit, right? So federal officials then served a subpoena for documents to... So federal officials then served a subpoena for documents suspected of being there. This is obviously just saying, hey... Hand us the fucking documents. The Trump team obviously didn't comply. They didn't send the documents out. 
and they just engaged in a long protracted legal battle. So this resulted in the August 2022 FBI agent like raid that was all over the media, all over YouTube, all over the sound waves, everywhere. It was ad nauseum. It was annoying as shit. We just want to figure out what was going on. Because of that prolonged legal period between December and August, Trump basically faces uh, obstruction charges. Because he's not in office anymore, he wouldn't be afforded the same protections as a sitting president. Now, going to the Biden situation. Uh, it's not really clear how many classified materials were involved. Now, it's troubling to me that it remained at the Penn Biden Center, which ran independently from Biden's like work uh, after he left the vice presidency in 2017. Now, I'm not familiar with the Penn Biden Center as far as like what kind of guests are there, um, what kind of access to these offices or the closet space that we mentioned earlier. I think that's just troubling to me as far as like who had access to these spaces where there were clear classified materials located. And I think that's going to be one of the goals of this investigation. I think it's going to be one of the larger aspects to see what kind of wrongdoing or incompetence was involved in the situation. Additionally, there's also no specification on the classified materials importance. Like it could have been classified uh, sex dungeon secrets from the JFK administration for all we know. Whereas with the Trump situation, clearly there were identified nuclear secrets that were at Mar-a-Lago, which is a huge breach of national security. One thing of note during the Biden situation is the fact that once these documents were discovered, they were immediately handed over to the Justice Department. There was clear and honestly unfettered cooperation between both parties. However, this could possibly be due to the protections that Biden would be afforded due to the fact that he is a sitting president. Plus the fact with the Justice Department being under the Biden admin, it just could have simply been a public move. Half the time, I wonder if this guy remembers what he ate for breakfast. So it wouldn't surprise me if he just lost a few files from 2017, but God damn it, this is sad. So I guess we just need to take a step back and go on ahead and evaluate, like, what kind of fallout is this entire scandal going to result in? Like, what kind of dynamic are we going to see uh, on Capitol Hill? What kind of dynamic are we going to see heading into 2024 and all the ramifications down the board? So I think first off, McCarthy uh, basically stated recently that he thinks the Congress has to investigate this and that he doesn't really think that there should be a special prosecutor. Everyone who saw this story basically knew right off the bat that this is just fuel for the fire that's going to be burning in the GOP House for basically the next two years. We know that they've been diverting resources into the Oversight Committee. We know that they've been trying to set up uh, specific like temporary committees for investigating the Biden admin as well as Hunter Biden. So this is just another topic that's going to be part of that huge, massive, like, I guess, uh, movement to investigation of the Biden administration. I think something that's going to be uh, a, an interesting dynamic with those particular, like, investigative hearings is the idea that they're probably going to be as publicized as the Jan 6 committees, because the GOP wants to make a spectacle of this Biden uh, investigation. I think one observation that needs to not be slid under the rug is the idea of how specific members of the House and those committees are going to conduct themselves in the public sphere once they have the limelight. Because say if, as they will in the investigative hearings, it's going to be a fucking shit show. If anything, it might just turn the bullet on them. But if they can rein themselves in, it might actually make for a weirdly compelling, I guess, series of televised events that the base and maybe even independence might even buy what kind of secrets might have been leaked and just addressing that snipping the bud tying off loose ends i guess i guess they're gonna find some random joe who might have read it and just cap him and who knows he might have been an intern at the pin biden center 
and you were cleaning out that closet and then you see the document. Sorry, buddy. Um, American security. I think probably one of the most important aspects of the fallout to this scandal will be how it affects Biden's chances at a 2024 presidential run. Because according to 538, his approval rating had been climbing up until the end of the year. In fact, just before this scandal broke out, he was clocking in at around 45%, which was amongst one of the higher ratings in his presidency. However, on January 19th, as it currently sits, he's at 40%. And this could be due to a variety of factors. Inflation was slowing. The Democrat midterm success definitely boosted his credibility as far as his base and possibly even independence go. Uh, he also had the luxury to be the calming voice, I guess, as the Republicans were fighting in the House over a speakership vote that just turned into a media frenzy. So a lot of the things were just set up perfectly for him to take advantage of in 2023 up until the scandal leaked. And it's absolutely just deflated any momentum that was had up until this point for a 2024 run. With that being the case, if he does run in 2024, it's going to be impossible for him to take a debate stage, for him to engage online, for him to engage with opposition without this ever being brought up. Obviously, the clear dynamic is going to be who has the best chance of beating Trump or DeSantis. Well, if you're dealing with Trump, obviously you're talking about the documents. Now, unfortunately, an item that a lot of us thought you could criticize Trump on basically is negated now. You, with, with both candidates, you're dealing with, with document issues. And it just comes down to arguing about context. And when it comes to debate points and policy points, that just doesn't sell. So yeah, for the next two years leading up to voting day on 2024, we're just going to be hearing nonstop about the documents in his fucking Corvette. So Representative Jim Banks, the Indiana Republican, announced on Friday that he will be creating the first ever anti-woke caucus by the end of January. This comes out after he released an op-ed on AmericanMind.org. Now, Representative Jim Banks recently announced that he will be running for Senator of Indiana, as Senator Mike Braun is currently planning on running for the governorship. This is also the same guy who advocated for travel restrictions on women seeking abortions in Indiana. Within the op-ed, he goes on to saying, quote, Wokeness is especially prevalent and dangerous at universities and in primary schools because the left recognize students as the most vulnerable and useful targets for indoctrination, end quote. Within the op-ed, he went on to go on ahead and lambast federal agencies, the press, corporate entities, and the military for woke tendencies. This was an equity order directing every agency to produce an equity action plan. Now, I would argue that these programs are necessary and support disadvantaged communities. Uh, for example, the EPA supporting communities that are disproportionately affected by Superfund sites and corporate waste. Now, for example, like poor communities in, say, like Louisiana, Mississippi, West Virginia, are often the targets and victims of corporate waste that end up infecting groundwater. They basically end up infecting food sources. In a lot of these areas, a lot of the people within these communities are people of color. Another equity plan that I find quite impactful is the USDA had financing initiatives to target colored farmers, which have historically been overlooked on federal subsidies. Now, basically, it would just be allocating a certain amount of money. I believe it was $11 million, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to colored farmers who in the past up to this point have been historically disadvantaged as far as receiving federal subsidies. Considering the place where the food market is right now, American agriculture is really on the decline ever since the pandemic. 
it's a no-brainer. You got to support us all. So I guess cutting to the chase, his first point that he outlaid in his op-ed is fucking stupid. It's just straight up destructive. It's harmful to good programs that we already have in place. And it's just a weird issue to get hung up on. His second point was, quote, Congress should stop funding wokeness. Okay, I'm going to kind of break the the fourth wall a little bit here. Uh, I'm kind of reading off my notes and my agenda off to the left. And in my notes, I just have under this point, what? LOL. Very vague. God damn it. I love I love shorthand notes. So I guess this just begs the question, with such a vague point, what the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean, stop funding wokeness? Are you talking about specific policy programs? Are you talking about specific financing options, uh, different packages? Are you talking about like initiatives for members of the LGBT community in the military? There's not a really clear policy path here. There's no outline direct. And then his third point, he goes on to say, quote, use oversight power to question federal officials and woke companies, end quote. So are you suggesting that we use federal oversight to stop the Potato Head brand from making their brand more accessible, more androgynous? What happened to laissez-faire capitalism that the Republicans always love spouting about, right? I thought businesses could basically do anything they wanted to make their market seem more appealing and more marketable. (laughs) Or is it Dr. Seuss phasing out certain books for questionable themes and art styles for archetypes? Or is it to stop companies from hiring keynotes and depicting LGBTQ plus themes or characters in media or at universities? Because let's be honest here, if that's the case, that would be one of the biggest overreaches a big government I think could be possibly imagined. So I guess we just need to take a step back here and I guess ask ourselves a few questions about what exactly this anti-woke caucus is going to be. Basically just a segment of the Republican Party that represents, I guess, anti-woke policy initiatives. So just right off the bat, it's puzzling to say the least. It's likely just going to be focusing on countering initiatives to expand equity programs that has yet to be appropriated. That's the only thing I could really see them effectively doing on the Hill. I don't know what kind of oversight they would employ to, I guess, audit different businesses, programs, or universities. They may cut funding to universities if they even smell a whiff of a gender studies class. Again, it's just something that we're going to have to observe and watch play out. There's not enough really on the table for us to make a solid conclusion on. And then another point that I guess draws my interest is who are the potential like caucus members that he's looking for? Like no one has any true idea on who would join yet. However, I think we can make a few assumptions based off of what was outlined in the op-ed. So this is sourced from it here saying, quote, an anti-woke caucus with members on the appropriations, energy and commerce and judiciary committees will work together to offer amendments that defund and expose wokeness at the NIH, the Justice Department and every other federal agency. So this is a little bit more, I guess, streamlined or at least straight to the point uh, about what they're talking about. But it's still kind of vague. I guess when it comes to the wokeness at NIH, I guess just mask mandates, uh, quarantine recommendations. Uh, they seem to have a hard on for Dr. Fauci, but kind of getting back to the main point based on this quote, my assumptions as far as potential caucus members kind of come back to three main ones that I know about. Uh, and that would be Dan Crenshaw out of Texas. He's on the energy and commerce committee, as well as August Fluger, who's also out of Texas. Additionally, I would also see Kat Kamek being a part of this. All three have really signaled animosity towards the idea of quote unquote wokeness. God, I fucking hate saying that word. Okay, sidebar, stunlock. I I fucking hate that this word got incredibly popular. 
It's annoying to say. It's annoying to use in a media sense. It's annoying to even address as a point. And now it's going to be an official caucus within the goddamn House of Representatives. Okay, back to planet Earth here. We don't know who's going to join yet. And the only thing we can really do is just sit back and watch and just see what happens over the next couple of weeks. I know I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope it's as much of a shit show as I think it's going to be. All right, so some new revelations out on George Santos. Now, for those of you who are not enlightened on who George Santos is, let me give you guys a brief rundown. So he is a freshman Republican uh, congressman out of New York who basically fabricated his entire education history, his employment on Wall Street. He lied about his own mother dying in 9-11, was involved in a sketchy Ponzi scheme funding his campaign, and said that his employees died in the Pulse nightclub shooting without any evidence to suggest that. Oh, and let's not forget the fact that he claimed to be Jew-ish. You know, like adding the ish at the end of it, like a cringe Tumblr user back in 2014. But the lies and interesting information just does not stop coming from this poor man. So we're going to dive right into it. According to a Brazilian drag performer under the name Eula Ricard, she had befriended Santos when he was cross-dressing at the first gay pride parade in Niterói, Rio de Janeiro in 2005. She said that he later competed in a drag beauty pageant in Rio, aspiring to be Miss Gay Rio de Janeiro. Now, let's take a big fucking step back here. This is going to create a really strange dynamic as the GOP is becoming increasingly more hostile to drag shows and the LGBTQ presence in the public square. If the GOP didn't want him out to begin with, they're already, they're, oh god, it's war. It's fucking war. There have already been calls from New York Republicans to basically have him resign, but he's basically sticking to his vow to serve his full term. Now, it's important to recognize that McCarthy will probably not allow him to resign, seeing that if he does, it will open up a very competitive runoff race in the seat in New York. And with the margins already being as tight as they are in the House, they can't afford to lose a seat. Oh, but weirdly over the weekend, it got, it just got better, guys. So according to CNN... Richard Ostoff, a disabled U.S. Navy veteran from New Jersey, alleges that Santos set up a GoFundMe through the pet charity Friends of Pets United and kept the earnings for himself. George Santos claims to have founded a pet charity called Friends of Pets United. Now, there's no existence of them really being online. However, there is one instance where they had a fundraiser that basically earned $50. He claims to have helped thousands of pets. There's no record. So let's just start off from there. In 2016, Ostoff had a pit bull mix named Sapphire at the time. Now, Sapphire was afflicted with a tumor on her abdomen, and it required immediate surgery to remove if she wanted to stay alive. Now, Ostoff was then directed by another veteran into contact with Anthony DeVolder, the name that Santos was going by at the time. Now, DeVolder, Santos, set up a GoFundMe fundraiser for the surgery. So after reaching its goal, Santos then directed Ostoff to uh, a veterinarian in Queens. But when he got there... The, the vet just straight up declined to operate on the dog because the funds needed to carry out the procedure just weren't available. They were never delivered. So Ostoff then contacted Santos, and after dodging the question on multiple occasions, he finally told him that he had moved the money from his charity to use for, quote, other dogs, end quote. What the fuck? I mean, after all that, you just took the money and ran? So because of this, Sapphire sadly died in January 2017, where... Ostoff had to handle the payments for her end-of-life services and, you know, euthanasia. So after this story broke out, GoFundMe spokesperson Jalen Drummond on Wednesday 
said that an issue with the fundraiser had been raised in late 2016 because they could not find proof of the delivery of the funds from the organizer to the intended recipient. Now, GoFundMe then reached out to Friends of Pets United, but because they did not respond, they were swiftly removed from the platform. So it's just like, what the fuck, man? You are swindling homeless veterans and letting a dog die? What the fuck? And look, there's there's three main tenets when it comes to just social awareness that you do not violate, all right? The first one, don't be caught in a sex scandal. Just ask Clinton. The second, don't get caught being a furry. And third, don't fuck with pets, man. There is one thing more beloved than human life on this earth, and it is the well-being of pets. People would gladly watch beheadings of human beings more often than they would want to watch like a pet get injured, let alone see one just get, you know, thrown to the side for greedy intentions. It's we don't even know where the money was spent. It was probably put into either a campaign or just some sort of, I guess, personal swindle. This guy is just straight up a fucking sociopath. So as a result of this news story, the Queens District Attorney's Office is reviewing their jurisdiction over this incident and any potential crime offenses that they could charge him with. I think just at the end of the day, it's just watching this piece of shit's like story just unravel and seeing the depths of depravity he's willing to go to. Just just fuck this guy, man. But like I said in the last episode, I'm going to be keeping an eye on this story. I think you guys should, too. And I would love nothing more than to see this rat just rot in prison. All right, guys, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you all for listening in. All right, guys, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you all for listening in. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter and at pub. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Politics Plugged and feel free to go on ahead and leave your answers in our poll down below on Spotify. As always, I make sure to As always, make sure to tune in for new episodes released every Monday and I'll see you in the next one. Take it easy.